welcome to the Empowered to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm J.D. Wilson. I'm your host. And today on the show, we have got uh, a special, special guest from the TCU Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development. It is Amanda Purvis. Uh, Amanda Purvis is not related to Dr. Purvis, uh, but does also work at the KPICD. Uh, and if you were... Um, if you were a participant in the Show Hope, Hope for the Journey conference, you saw uh, Amanda present uh, a few times there. Uh, she is uh, brilliant, and we're super excited to have her with us today to talk about that connection between the brain, body, and behavior. So often when we start this parenting journey, uh, behaviors can be confusing, and it is really easy to look at behavior strictly through a lens of kids being willfully disobedient or uh, just choosing, in big air quotes, just choosing to do wrong all the time. And yet, uh, one thing that we know now uh, from looking at brain research, looking at the different uh, science we have available, and uh, lots of research in this matter, is there are lots more factors behind behavior than we often give it credit for. So today we're going to talk about the brain and body connection with behavior. How does nutrition, hydration, uh, sensory input, how does all of that play into behavior? And you don't want to miss this. This is a foundational, uh, very important episode, uh, especially if you are early on in your parenting journey into understanding how to see behavior and how to better care for our kids kids uh, and set them up for success throughout the day. So super excited for this episode. Hope that you um, are going to enjoy it. Enjoy now, Amanda Purvis. Well, we're here today with Amanda Purvis from the Karen Purvis Institute of Child Development. Uh, no relation to uh, Dr. Purvis herself, but we're super glad to have Amanda here. Um, and Amanda's going to talk with us today about uh, everything in the world of, of kind of body and behavior, one of the empowering uh, principles that we talk about uh, in ETC and in TBRI, which is trust-based relational intervention. Um, and so, Amanda, first, thanks for being here. And why don't you kind of give some context for our listeners of, of who you are and kind of what you do at TCU? Yeah, I'm super excited to be here with you guys and with your listeners. So thank you for having me. Um, I'm Amanda Purvis. I work um, as a training specialist at the Institute, which all that means is I'm consulting with organizations and systems across the globe um, to really implement in a deep way trauma-informed care. Um, our model of that is TBRI or trust-based relational intervention. So I work with um, people all over the world and what does it look like to be trauma-informed? What does it look like um, to implement these strategies throughout systems of care? And most importantly, I came to this work um, as a parent myself um, and as a social worker. And so I learned about this stuff in school and just really knew um, this is how I wanted to parent uh, personally. And then in my professional life began implementing um, a lot of these skills. And for me, it was a completely transformative experience, um, both personally and professionally. That's awesome. That's, I'm, I'm, I don't think I knew that you came into it kind of from a parenting angle first. That's that's really cool. Um, we've also got Tana Ottinger from ETC with us. And so Tana, uh, thank you for being here today too. Um, and why, why don't we kind of start, um, Tana, when we talk about in ETC, sort of the, the body and behavior, I mean, one of the we were talking before we started recording, like one of the light bulbs that goes off for us a lot of times in, in our parent training courses is when we start to draw these associations together. So would you like to kind of introduce that thought for us today? Yeah, sure. 
one of the things that's important for us to be thinking about when we look at our kids' behavior is to be that detective and to get super curious, like put on our curiosity and ask ourselves all kinds of really important questions. Like, I wonder what's going on here. I wonder what this behavior is communicating. I wonder what the need is. And, you know, Mo and I have shared on prior episodes, this was a major aha moment for us because we um, fell into that trap of thinking that behavior was willful and that our kids could control it and that their motivation for their behavior was very personal. And, you know, we just, we kind of saw behavior one way and assigned intent and motive when intent and motive wasn't there. And it really was starting to sit through TBRI and sort of hearing Dr. Purvis all those years ago really kind of encourage and invite us to think about the fact that our that children's behavior, I know this seems silly to us now, is like coming out of their body. And so, you know, we kind of come from the paradigm of like, it's their heart and it's intent. And really it's like their body may have a need. And so really getting curious about the body needs as they are connected to behavior. Um, I mean, it was a major game changer for us and how we were supporting our kids' needs for sure. So I'm excited to have this conversation and have it like super directed and really talk about um, you know, for some of our parents or listeners or caregivers that are thinking about maybe there's some behavior that's perplexing and you don't understand it. And you've been trying some strategies and you've been, you know, using certain discipline techniques and the behavior is not changing or you just have a kiddo that melts down and you don't understand why, or they seem to be withdrawing and you don't understand why, or they seem to not be flexible or they're not, you know, willing to do the very thing that you think should be simple. Like it really, it's awesome when you can start being curious about that. So I'm excited. I mean, I, I'm curious for you, Amanda, when you started kind of coming into the world of TBRI, what about empowering was a light bulb moment for you? And then maybe we can just start talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it's again, going back to that behavior piece, um, because I think we're all really taught to focus on the behaviors of our kids and how to change their behaviors. Um, and I had never really felt empowered to understand the why behind the behavior, right? My focus was completely on how to change the behavior, not understand the need that was being met by the behavior. So to me, when I was able to frame so much of the behavioral junk, frankly, <laughs> we were dealing with as a family in a way that, oh, he or she is getting this need met by doing that and then deciding either A, is it okay for them to get that need met in that way? And do I need to change how I'm framing this behavior? Or B, if it's not acceptable for them to get their need met in that way, how then can I help them to get that need met in an appropriate way? Um, and that just took honestly so much stress off of me as a parent and allowed me to really engage with my kids in a new way um, where I could connect and begin to understand them rather than just being that warden all the time of like, don't do that. Stop that. Don't touch that. Why are you doing that? Right. Like, and it shifted that to really a, oh, I wonder if, right. And, and, and and a lot more curiosity of, Hey, are you feeling this in your body right now? Oh, you are. Okay. Here's what we could do. Mm -hmm. For me, it was like, Oh, I don't have to stop your behavior. I can support your need, which I think is where, I mean, we can start talking about that. Like it, it isn't about, I mean, the behavior eventually will stop if you meet their need or replace 
that, like you said, if it's something they shouldn't be doing, replace it with what they can do to meet that need that's within reason or acceptable in that moment or whatever. So it's a major paradigm shift. Major paradigm. Yeah. Like I'll just put my hand up and y'all have been sounding very nice saying you were being really curious about behaviors. I was so frustrated, like, and not, not as much in an angered way. I was, I I felt so helpless as a parent, like watching uh, my kids struggle in these really, to me, what was really odd ways. And then not knowing how to address what was going on because it felt like there was something more than just willful disobedience, but man, does it look that way when you are in the middle of it, right? And so I think for us, there is this like almost, you know, sometimes you irrationally cry, like something very small happens, but it it hits real deeply at a different moment. And I, my body is broken. So I feel that sometimes, but I don't always, the tears don't always make it out. But there was a moment where I literally started crying one day, uh, thinking about like, there was a real simple practice we did earlier on the day, just trying to make sure we got some energy out. We worked, you know, like got and swung for a little bit and then, uh, you know, ate at a different time, make sure we had some more water on hand and had the most perfect day ever. It was a totally regular day, but the fact that we did not have some of the things, some of the meltdowns we had been having before, like it was really overwhelming to see like how how much I had been missing before we started digging into it. And so what, why don't we, you made a start into kind of the, what, what is like the science behind this? Like how, why is this happening? And why are we, um, why are we kind of being trained and taught as parents to, to study these physical behaviors and, and physical aspects of our body when it's, you know, behaviors that we're concerned about? Yeah. The first thing I want to say about what you just said is I think that's such a beautiful journey of going from like being frustrated as a parent and then like realizing, oh, if we do these simple things, it changes the way our day goes. Um, And I also think then the next step in that journey that's so empowering is then watching our children own it themselves, right? Like I will forever remember the day that my son came to me and said, I, I need to go jump on the tramp before school. So I don't, so I make good choices, you know? And like, like when he said that it was like, ding, 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 you know, like it, it was a win, right? Because now it's, it left my control of, I need to make sure he's getting these things met and he's now owning it. Right. And he knows what his body needs. Um, and that's, that is empowering, right? That's the empowering principle is giving this to our kids and saying, you know, your body, you know what you need. You can learn to listen to your body and get those needs met appropriately. Amanda, just to piggyback off of you, you just, a little thought came to my mind. I remember one time standing in the kitchen and one of my kids walked through and without really probably thinking about it, started picking on a sibling. Like, you know, maybe tickled them or even kind of pushed them out of the way, like just kind of checked them a little bit and and was trying to get a little while out of them. And I had been just coaching and talking to this kid and they had some extra body needs. You know, we just took a deep breath and, you know, he's probably early teenage years. And I'm like, hey, Bubs, can we just think for a minute about why you just did that to your sibling? Like, do you have any thoughts about why you did that? And and I was asking, we'd been working, so I didn't come in with like, there was no discipline. It was like total curiosity. And he took two or three deep breaths and he goes, I think I'm bored. I think I'm bored. I don't think I know what to do right now. And I was like, ding, there it is. And if I had just corrected that behavior, 
he would not have had a moment to like self-assess, oh, I think what I'm doing right now is just trying to get some body needs met. And so we started like, okay, well, when you feel like you might walk by and instigate with a sibling, maybe we could meet that boredom need through your body by riding your bike or jumping on the trampoline. And like, so that's it. It is 100% about helping them learn to practice their own pause, <laughs> take yeah. a minute, figure out what they need, and then move forward and empowering them to meet that. So I love that example. I'm all, all down for that. And it works, by the way, having older kids now who are in their young adult years, they do know because they've been supported in our family to figure out how to meet their needs, I hope, in mostly helpful ways. You know, <laughs> yeah, and I would say, too, for my hardest kid um, who struggles with attachment and that type of thing, he now will say to me, and he's a teenager, and he'll say to me multiple times a day, like, I just need a hug. And like, every time he says that, um, like, sometimes it's about attachment. Like, are we, are we okay right now? Right? Like, and sometimes that's what it is. But I would say about 80, 90% of the time, it's, I need somebody to wrap me up tight right now. I need that proprioception. I need that input. But that's him saying, like, I'm about to become dysregulated, but I know that I can seek um, what my body needs and I can do it through relationship, which to me is the beauty of TBRI because not only do we empower kids and we give them this gift and we as caregivers begin to understand sensory and, you know, those body and behavior needs, but it is then paired with connection Um, because that's the difference between other models that, that recognize these body needs, but don't pair it with attachment and connection. And that makes all the difference in the world in terms of our relationship. Totally. So let's talk for just a few minutes about maybe how do we empower, we've kind of danced around it, but how do we, when we're thinking about our empowering strategies and that principle of TBRI, we need to be thinking about it outside the moment, and we need to be thinking about it inside the moment. So why don't we think some proactive tips and tricks, Amanda, or even if you just kind of want to give us, you know, a little bit of instruction here on some things that we would normally tell when you're explaining the empowering principle. Like, what are some things our listeners might want to be thinking about? And then I'd love for us to talk about it proactively and responsibly. So I think the first thing to understand, right, this body behavior connection um, is to understand three things. The first is hydration plays a major role in behavior. Um, And this is like not rocket science. And yet as caregivers, well, I guess I'll speak for myself. I forget all the time, right? I forget like, oh, my kid's been at basketball for three hours. He's, you know, X, Y, Z. But hydration is is directly connected to those excitatory neurotransmitters, which means that, you know, when those release, we get those big behaviors, we get those, you know, neurotic or scary behaviors or however you want to label them. A lot of times that happens as a lack of hydration. Um, and so water is key, simple, um, and yet we have to remember it and we have to empower our kids to want it and to learn how to do it. And the, best thing there is just by example, right? We're drinking all the time. We're providing. I have to say to every parent, like, I'm so sorry, but you're going to have to buy so many water bottles. Uh, (laughs) You just are. Don't, don't get mad. They're going to lose them. They are many, many times. (laughs) It's, it's worth the investment. Um, 
it's worth the investment. And even the type of water bottle can be connected to the sensory piece of, you know, do your kids really like to suck really hard on things? Cause that actually helps calm them. Then like a Gatorade water bottle might be great versus like an open mouth, you know, like Nalgene water bottle where you pour it in or, you know, that type of thing. Um, but all of that to say hydration is number one. Um, number two is nutrition. Again, no rocket science here, nothing new. Um, our kids have to have healthy fuel for their bodies to um, remain balanced. Uh, the, the main thing to think about here is around protein intake um, because those healthy proteins um, and complex carbs can really help to elim not eliminate, but maybe lessen those um, spikes and dips in blood sugar. Um, and that is when, again, we get those big behaviors. Another thing as caregivers that many of us deal with around this is kids who wake up multiple times a night, whether it be with night terrors or just they can't sleep well. Oftentimes that has to do with those blood sugar spikes and dips throughout the night that interrupts their REM sleep. So by increasing their protein intake during the day, we, we really help to eliminate some of those things. That's really interesting. Yeah, Tana, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just going to say early on when I heard that, I'm like, oh, okay. So that like that bedtime snack they ask for, you know, that when they're trying to sort of not go to sleep and all of a sudden they're hungry and thirsty, why don't you just take a hot minute and meet that need and it might pay you back at 2 a.m. Um, and, pay, you know, meet that need with a little turkey sandwich or a rolled up piece of meat or a yogurt or, a, you know, a cheese tick or something that can sort of get a little protein handful of nuts, like whatever is acceptable and okay in your family. But like get that protein in before bed. Um, we just started making it part of our rhythm and routine at night. There was always a time to come to the kitchen and eat something um, before going to bed. So last call, what we call yeah. it. You know, oh, I love it. Last That's call, awesome. like, and it's, you know, any protein snack is available. And when my kids were little, um, if you have bigger kids who have had a real fudge sickle, this little trick won't work. But if you don't, you can make your own like protein popsicles out of just like protein powder and then like make, you know, like chocolate ones or vanilla ones or whatever flavor your kid likes out of protein powder. But so we would have fudge sickles every night for dessert. Um, but in reality, it was a pro it was frozen protein. <laughs> uh, that is brilliant. a great idea. Brilliant! I love it. Yeah, if they've had real fudge sickles, though, you are out of luck. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that is a word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I, as we're starting to look through some of these things, parents might be going, "Oh man, like." So I guess this is all it is, is maybe I've just got to feed my kid more and give them some more water. But is there, is there a connection in the brain to what's happening with these, these biological things or these uh, physiological things that are happening? Like how, how do we, how can we think about understand that, that brain body connection when it comes to like the nutrition and hydration and stuff? So I think it has to do with the connection of the neurochemistry as well as um, those spikes and dips in blood sugar is really what we see in the body. And then in combination with that, then we can get into really understanding sensory profiles. So that's the third thing to understand about the body. So we have hydration, we have blood sugar and nutrition, and then lastly, we have sensory. And that really has to do with how our brains and bodies take in the world. Um, and 
and how we process any input, whether it be sound, light, um, noise, any of those types of things, as well as what our bodies feel like, what's against our bodies. Um, and, and that all is processed differently by every single one of us. Okay, because you mentioned earlier talking about proprioception, like he, he needed a, some extra proprioceptive, you know, pressure or whatever. So, can you walk through those different the different systems, like uh, sensory systems, and kind of how they're how they're integrated? Yeah, so we have like the five um, external senses that we all know about, right? Sight, sound, taste, smell, touch. But then we have three internal senses, um, and those have to do with proprioception, which is that deep muscle input, right? How hard do I push with my pencil on the paper to write so that you can read my name, right? Um, That's proprioception. Or how hard do I give you a high five so that you feel it and I feel it, but I don't hurt you? Um, how hard do I pet this dog, right? That's proprioception. And then we have um, the stibular input, which has to do with the fluid in our inner ear. And that has to do with our the movement of our body. How far can I lean over before I'm going to fall over, right? It gives me that where I'm at in space. I can tell where the wall is without having to touch it because my vestibular input is correct in my body right now. Um, and then lastly, it's similar to touch tactile, which is that gentle touch on the skin. Um, So those are the three internal senses on top of those five external senses um, that we have to be aware of. Okay. So in those, you're, you're looking at those three different senses and, you know, some of the signs that, that you might be needing to like work a little bit more in the sensory world might be like you have a kid that their tag the tag on their shirt just drives them insane right or uh you know i i I can remember having the experience of like everyone think you have these these things you think you're gonna do as a parent all the time and i was like oh i'm gonna flip my kids all over and throw them all in the air and stuff and do what my dad used to do with me and i remember like going to flip one of the kids and just like a total loss of the day. Like we were done at that point for like 30 minutes. And so uh, when that's happening, what's actually happening in the brain that's like, that's related to those systems? Yeah, so I think it's important for us to all understand that all of us have a sensory profile, right? That's how we take in the world. So I personally love a good deep massage, right? That feels amazing to me. That feels relaxing to me. But there are other people out there who that's terrifying, right? That would be hell on earth to lay on a table and have someone, you know, apply deep pressure to them for an hour. Um, so we, we all have that, right? I love the feeling of putting a, a big blanket on me at night. Um, some people don't want any blanket, right? Or just the sheet. That's our sensory profile. If you turn down the radio when you're looking for an address, right? That, that has to do with our auditory processing, right? There's, so we all have a sensory profile. So understanding this isn't just for this kid or that kid or this relationship. It really is um, a holistic view of how we're all taking in the world. Um, so with that in mind, understanding, right? I do like that deep pressure or like for me, after a stressful day, to go work out and get that deep muscle input helps me calm down and regulate. Um, but if someone were, you know, to spin me in my chair after work for five minutes, that would <laughs> not help me, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it, again, it's understanding first our own, 
because that will absolutely affect the way that we give care to our children, right? Um, and just like you kind of said, JD, like I thought I was going to be throwing my kids up in the air, and right? <laughs> my guess is you loved vestibular input and you loved proprioception as a kid, and so that was connecting to you, and it was fun and. And yeah. then when you went to do that, you know, with one of your kids, maybe it's the opposite experience for them. Um, and so it has to do with the way that we give care. Um, and then we have to be aware of, um, like, is this, is, does this feel okay to my kid? Right? Like for me, a gentle, you know, I might give my kid a kiss on the cheek. And if I have a kid who every time is wiping that kiss off, it might have nothing to do with them receiving my love. Yep. Right? It might have everything to do with the way a gentle touch feels on their skin. And they need to get that gentle feeling away because that's like nails on a chalkboard to them. But if I take that personally, then that will affect our relationship. Yes. I mean, I think you just hit on for, at least for us, when the light bulb started popping off, because it was about thinking, all right, I, I want to look at my kids' reactions or their um, what they're running towards or what they're pulling away from when they might seem to like dig their heels in and be sort of what I was deeming as unwilling or not flexible. Or if you are thinking about building attachment and connection, maybe I'm feeling rejected in some areas. Like when you can start thinking about their behavior and reactions and responses as legitimately needs. Like there is a reason that they are doing that. And if I can be curious about that and, and maybe start figuring it out a little bit, then I can build that trust with my kid and, and they can feel respected and seen by me. Not that there's something wrong, but it's like mom's willing to show love and affection in a way that I can receive it the way I want. I wanted them to. I didn't want to make my kid pull away from me because I'm not going to stop lavishing them with like wet smoochies is what we call them. If I'm going to make my kid receive wet smoochies all over their face and it's like an assault against their tactile sense, they do not want mom to see mom coming. So I think there's a million ways this can impact relationship with our kids. Yep. And the other thing too, um, like yes, with all those sensory things, but also again, tying it back to the body and biology. Um, like let's all right now think about a teenager we know, right? I can empower my teenager, right? I have a kid in high school who can make us all dinner, who is very, very capable, but I make him breakfast and his lunch every morning because a teenager at 6.30 a.m. is incapable yeah. biologically of doing those things with a good attitude, right? And so like my way of connecting to him and his body in the morning is saying like, let me get this covered. I'm not um, spoiling mm. him. I'm not, right? It's my way of meeting the needs of a teenager who unfortunately has to get up early. And so yeah. I'm going to do those things for him in the morning. Um, and I'm also not going to ask him what he did for his homework last night, right? I'm going to be respectful of his body in the morning in a different way than I am my eight-year-old in the morning, right? My eight-year-old makes her own breakfast and packs her lunch every morning. My 16-year-old does not. 
right? That's, that is empowering. Um, because I'm saying he is not, and when she's 16, I'll probably do those things for her, um, because of where their bodies are at developmentally and growth wise and all those types of things. Um, and so this is understanding as caregivers, like, where do we put the bar? Um, because at 10 PM at night, my 16 year old is making what we call his third dinner, right? Cause he has a dinner when he gets home from school, then he has dinner with us and he has his third dinner, right? And he's like cooking up his third dinner and he has a million and one things to talk to me about at 10 PM. But if I take it personally at 7 AM when he doesn't want to talk to me and he's super grumpy, I'm going to affect our relationship at 10 PM. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a part of this too, right? Is understanding that their bodies and their behaviors are absolutely connected, just like ours are. I know. That's, I love that, Amanda. I mean, I'm like high fiving you across Zoom because yes, 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 and yes to that right there, especially with teenagers. Um, you know, I'm also thinking about what does it mean to see each kid in a family individually? And how in a large family, I would be curious, like if you would just give us some times, it can be personal or things you've seen other families do, where you've seen them like notice something, a specific need or a way that one kid might need support. And how do they individualize that? What have you seen them need to let go of or change or flex on as a family unit? You know, I'm thinking about resetting expectations or not necessarily having those same family rules, you know, that kind of thing. Do you have any feedback or thoughts about that? I think we could talk all day about that. <laughs> I know. Um, where it is, girl. It's where it is. Yeah. And I will say for your listeners, I do have five children. Um, and so, and they all have extremely different um, needs, right? And so for some of them, what that looks like. I remember um, when one of ours was younger, we had like, here's what dinner looks like, right? Dinner is we all sit at the table and this is how we do dinner. We do these questions and we interact. And for him, the noise of seven people sitting at a dinner table, absolutely not going to work. And then him sitting at the dinner table was not doable. So within a couple years, we had to figure out, right, what are his needs and how do we make this work for him? We want to have dinner together as a family. So for him, that meant instead of sitting at the table, we allowed him, like he still, as a as a young teenager, will sit um, like in a frog position. Like he's like crouching on his chair rather than sitting with his bum on the chair, right? Like his feet are, and he's like crouched on the chair eating. Um, and then when he was younger, he wore the, um, like the headset, not like a plug-in one, right? But like one that you would wear to like a gun club or something to, to buffer the noise. And again, that allowed him not to disengage from our family, but to engage in a way um, that was acceptable for him, right? So then it it cut out a lot of the other noises happening, like the forks on the plate that really bother him, the people's teeth on forks, that right, all of that. And he was then able to engage in the conversation. Whereas before then, he was always screaming. He was always running away. He was the loud one who couldn't sit at the table. But once we allowed him to crouch at the table and and wear those... um, what are they called, Tana? Earmuffs or what yeah, is like uh, uh, noise canceling headphones? Yes, there like they are. are. Yeah, that are yeah. just for 
buffering the noise. Yeah. And so once he was wearing those and he could crouch, he was suddenly engaged in our family dinners. Um, But that doesn't, we're not now like, no, you don't need to crouch at the table. Like I actually know, like you can sit here. Um, Whereas he does need that. Um, So that's one of the examples. Um, Another example that I have um, is around activities for kids So like we invest as a family into um, sports that because it meets, like we say like, this is our mental health for this child or this child, right? And I don't care if my kid ever wins a game or, right? I'm not in there for the actual sport. I'm in there for them to get that activity. And like, we sign up for like a lot, right? Like he's there three, four, five days a week some days, (laughs) Because that's what he needs, right? And so we're going to invest into that both financially and time-wise as a family um, to help meet those needs. And like in between like spring season and summer season when he has two weeks off, like we already know as a family, like we're going to have to figure out what those evenings look like where we're getting in that activity for him. Otherwise, our days look very different in a negative way, right? Um, So yeah. One, One thing to sort of piggyback off what you just shared. I love that sort of on the flip side of that for us, like just, just to like seeing your kid for who they are, you know, we kind of came in expecting that we might have kids that would want to do sports and athletics. And some of our kids have not been able or wanted to do that, you know, for any myriad of reasons, but some of it would be like just sensory body, like doing athletics is not the thing for them. They're more sensory averse than they are sensory seeking. And so we then were like, okay, well, if we're doing A, B, and C for other kids, this kiddo can't or doesn't desire to, for whatever reason, participate in athletics this way. So for them, we did like a hobby allowance or we allowed them to like build their collection. Like we met, we're like, okay, bubs, if this isn't what you want to do, mom and dad see you, we got you, we celebrate you. Now we're going to give you that same amount of money we're spending on, you know, the other kids gymnastics or whatever, and you just invest in all the models you want and you can go quiet, be quiet and still in your room and have some time to debrief and build Legos or models to your heart's content. So it is about, from my perspective, is it about, it's about our kids going, my parents see me. My parents see me and they celebrate me and they see me and celebrate me because my needs matter and my needs are okay. You know, I think that, man, if we're not careful, we can communicate to them in 100 million different accidental ways that what they need is not the thing they should need. Instead of being like, baby love, I got you and we've got this and we're just going to celebrate who you are. And some of that is me feeling free at the table. I mean, I have some major like auditory sensory stuff with eating. And so it's a big joke that like nobody needs to slurp around mom or smack around mom or chew too loud around mom. And early on, I felt kind of bad about that. And I'm like, you know what? If if I can like playfully say, oh, guys, y'all being a little too loud. Who's slurping? Then they know that like I am mindful of my own sensory sensitivities and that in our family, a way to show respect is to be considerate of other sensory needs and, you know, maybe extra sensitivities. And so Mo and I are just as honest as we can with our kids about, you know, our sensory profiles, which I love the way you said that, Amanda. We all have it. 
Um, you know, I, I would love for just a second or two to talk about um, maybe two things. Um, one is if we have listeners whose kids have experienced some adversity, if they've experienced some trauma or loss, um, you know, or any number of risk factors, um, you know, in, in y'all's work and so even some of the stuff that we do, I'd love to talk about how maybe that does impact, you know, the way that their body um, processes and maybe what we need to do to support them. Um, well, let's just start there. Yeah, do you have any feedback or thoughts about that, Amanda? Yeah, like in terms of um, any of us who have experienced stressful um, things, trauma, however you want to phrase it, um, we know that as a result of some of those things, we see changes in the brain and the body and our biology. Um, and one of the things is around this idea of sensory processing, um, we see those changes. And so there's lots of studies out there and I could quote lots of percentages, but what we need to know is that it's oftentimes a product of those experiences that we've had, that our sensory profiles might be more extreme than people who haven't had those experiences. So, you know, maybe none of us like a sudden loud noise, Right. But for those of us who have experienced trauma, that might actually send our brains and bodies into a completely different place. Right. And so understanding that this is, again, it's we all have a sensory profile, um, but those of us who have experienced trauma, sometimes our profile is more extreme um, in both the seeking or right, the trying to get away from some of those inputs. Um, and so just recognizing what that might look like um, in ourselves as well as our children is extremely empowering for everyone involved. And it takes away a lot of like the emotional stuff that comes with like, I'm not able to meet my kid's need or I'm not able, right? And then once we realize that there's a sensory thing, whether it's ours or our child's or sometimes it's both, um, it, it takes the emotion out of it and allows us to really see the need behind the behavior. Yeah. The other thing I think is important for us to think about is when it might be time to seek the help of a professional. I mean, I, th- I think we can be um, mindful and curious and be intentional. And so maybe we can talk for a few minutes about just what are some of the practices that you can put in your day or the rhythms or rituals or routines, the proactive piece of meeting those empowering needs. So I think we probably have some ideas amongst the three of us of even things that we've done in our own families. But we do talk a lot um, to our to our parents about when might it be time to seek the help of a professional. And, you know, in the world of sensory processing and occupational therapist that understands how to meet sensory needs is the right professional to seek help from. Um, and I happen to love occupational therapy. I mean, that particular service has been a huge gift to our family. Um, and multiple kids have seen OT throughout the years. And oftentimes it'll just be a check-in, you know, a couple of sessions with an OT to have another set of eyes look at a kiddo and see what might be going on. And then just give us some recommendations for what's called a sensory diet. So here, mom and dad, here are two or three things that you could do at home that would specifically support this child's need. So anyway, if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, maybe I have a kid that's extra sensitive or either a seeker or an avoider, I would recommend um, maybe thinking about seeking the help of an occupational therapist. But why don't we just talk about what are some things that y'all have done in your own families and in your own homes to um, maybe meet the needs of your kids? I think... Yeah, I think for us, um, and then TBRI, kind of what we talk about around that 
sensory diet is the idea that we're meeting these needs um, at least every two hours for our children. Um, And so I remember when my kids were young and I was first starting to implement this, I actually set a timer um, that would go off every hour. And it was because when it went off the first time, we were going to have a snack. And then when it, and then it was sensory, snack, sensory, snack, sensory all day long, right? So we were either doing something together as a family when they were young around eating or an activity every hour. Um, and it brought some structure to our day, um, but it also eliminated a lot of those meltdowns that I was dealing with on a regular basis. Um, so every two hours for sensory is what we say, um, And what that looks like depends on your child, right? And what their profile is and what they need. Um, And so part of figuring that out is being curious and then also seeking some professional guidance. And I'll say we've got one who is a major sensory seeker, big time wrestler, loves to like sneak attack and, and jump on you when you're not expecting it. And sometimes that's awesome. Sometimes I am ready for that. Like, and I'm ready to go WWE and we can have a whole, you know, Royal Rumble with the whole family. Sometimes it sets me off in a way because I've, I've just got some aversity to like the sudden, well, this might just be a human thing, like sudden sneak attacks physically on your head. Like, no, not many people are looking for that, right? But uh, one of the things I did last time, uh, last time I was seeing some of the needs come up, I, I just thought, hey, let's, uh, you know, what do you want to do right now? I, said, well, I just want to punch things. We don't have a punching bag. But what we did have was a really heavy bag that was for shooting arrows to in the backyard. And so we ended up like rigging that up in, in his room and we did have some boxing gloves. And so I, I just like gave him boxing gloves and like told him like, I want you to sing a song in your head and hit on every beat and just see how many, see how high you can get. See what's the number that you can get where you get in rhythm, like, and you can hit it this many times in a row. And I was really desperate, so I'm glad it worked, but it became this really fun game. Like, hey, come here, I just got 40. Like, and so he, it was this way to like be able to get out that aggression. And then shortly after that, I noticed clothes are picked up off the floor. So I'm not saying this is a magic chore uh, trick to like help your kids do their chores, but it did unlock this need that was pent up. And once that need was clear, he could see very clearly what we had asked him to do and just walk right up to take care of it. And so... Um, that's good. I mean, trampoline has been huge for us. And I know there, there are different people who, and have some genuine serious trauma around trampoline. So I'm not advocating that's just the universal thing for everybody. Um, but that's been great for us. And then the other thing that's been really good is, is trying to regularly get out for walks before dinner. And so, uh, getting out and just getting out in the outside and being able to hear the sounds from around like cars and, um, birds and, you know, and then seeing other people out, uh, and getting some of the social needs met too, if you have friends in your street. And so, uh, those two things have been huge for us, just kind of regular physical breaks. And then uh, taking a walk together as a family before we sit down to eat. Yeah. And I'll add that, um, when, when you begin seeing behavior through this way, there are some things that change. So for us, we really began to invest in toys, right? Quote unquote toys that were actually sensory things, right? So, When my kids were little, our basement had two jump houses in it. That was it, right? Now it has like a gymnastics bar and pads and a beam and right, all these things. Um, We built going down our our steps, a slide. And yes, sometimes people slide, like some people slide down it, but most of my kids crawl up it right? And that that's helping them every single time they have to come upstairs, they're getting that need met. So now our lives actually just 
we just live this way, right? Whether it be because we're going to practice or it's just a part of our home and our outside under our deck, we have a swing, we have a punching bag, we have, you know, and those are the things that we've invested in. So rather than buying X, Y, and Z for Christmas, you know, you get a beam and a bar and a um, punching bag and new, you know, like that's the type of things that we invest in. And therefore our, our living space is this way where you can't walk through our home and not get a sensory need met. (laughs) Yeah. Same. I mean, I was thinking the same thing. So I I love that you shared that. And it's, I would say whatever age your kids are can invest in, you know, anything that would help them meet those sensory needs. There's 1 million ideas on Pinterest or, I mean, you just, anything you can, you can find something within your price range or capability or with whatever you have at hand to, to be creative and get those needs met. Um, the only thing I'll add to both of y'all's is but we do have a couple of kids that really are averse to sensory stimulus. And so again, just creating that opportunity for them to pull away um, if they need a break. Yeah. And, and that can happen, you know, it doesn't have to be you know, some major moment. It can be a code word. It can be, you know, a little whisper in their, you know, your ear. If you're at a, a big outing or a gathering or a lot of people and, you know, they say, hey, can I take a break in the car? Or I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. Or, you know, we have one kiddo that might take two or three showers a day. And it's because that is like their escape from the chaos that they're feeling outside of themselves. I mean, you know, they just need like, to exhale and calm down and have that sensory bath in a calming way. And so um, I, I cannot overstate enough how it's just about respecting your kids and seeing it as an opportunity and an invitation to celebrate them. And, and man, I'm with you in, in every way I will be creative with you and help you figure yourself out. And they will grow and into young adults that know how to get their needs met in constructive ways. Um, if mom and dad are, and, and again, that it's not that there's something wrong or that they're something, they're not broken, they're not bad. They have extra sensory needs. Um, so celebrating that and just being their advocate and champion. And, and you know what? For Mo and I, it gives us a little joy back because it helps us go, oh, we're meeting our kids' needs. And, and I know, I think every single parent wants to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we do want to be able to meet our kids' needs. We also do want behavior to change. But I can promise you, if you meet their needs, guess what? Behavior will change. It just does. It may not happen as fast as you think or the way that you think, but you need to give them what they need and a replacement option for the energy that they are taking out in unconstructive ways, which is that proactive piece. Like, how can I meet the needs and be proactive? Um, anyway, I, it's, yeah, I'm a huge fan of thinking about whole brain, whole body, babies. Hey, uh, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, this was really great and so helpful. So uh, for people who are going to look into this more, remember if you are looking for additional support in this area, if you're wanting to kind of take a deeper dive into exploring what might be going on um, with your particular kiddos and any sensory needs they've got, um, occupational therapy is the place to to start with that. Um, Any book recommendations for the two of you before we get out on maybe reading further into this? I would say The Out of Sync Child by Carol Kranowitz. Um, mm-hmm. There is like little 
checklists at the end of each chapter so that if this is something brand new to you um, and you're like, I have no idea what they're talking about in terms of proprioception or tactile, or it's a really digestible book in terms of you could just go through and do the checklist and whichever chapter you're checking a lot of things on, read that chapter and skip the other one, (laughs) like start there. Agreed. Agreed. That's, that would be my recommendation. And we can put a few links in the show notes as well. So we can link to a few resources that might be helpful. Well, Amanda, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you guys. Well, great stuff from Amanda Purvis and a huge thank you to her for coming on and joining us today to talk about uh, the brain-body behavior connection, um, as well as just kind of introducing the idea of sensory input and regulation and being able to meet our kids' sensory needs um, in order to better care for them and and how to just kind of think through the day to set them up for success uh, and make sure that we are helping them to regulate in that manner. And so uh, great stuff from her. we thought it might be uh, a good idea after we dive into this conversation from a 30,000 foot view to really hone in on uh, a lot more of this conversation from a therapist's point of view. So uh, next week on the show, we have got a very special guest, an occupational therapist, a uh, friend of ours here in Memphis. We will have her on next week uh, to talk about uh, the occupational therapist's view of sensory processing, to talk about interoception, uh, to talk about a lot of different things, some really practical tips and tools that she gives families uh, for meeting sensory needs and beginning to look at sensory processing disorder and different uh, different things that might be affecting your kids and ways that you can uh, help them in very practical, practical, uh, manageable ways from your house. So you don't want to miss this next week as we um, sit down with an occupational therapist to talk through these things. Uh, thanks again to Amanda Purvis. Thanks to Kyle Wright for editing and engineering all of our audio. To Tad Jewett for the music and for everybody at ETC, this is J.D. Wilson, and we will see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast.